I appreciate Matt filling in today for Jeff, who's on vacation and leading us in worship and uh, doing an outstanding job. Appreciate that very much. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. The 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now we have been in this, uh, well, I guess this will be our 23rd message in Hebrews. As we've moved through the first seven chapters, we've seen the, the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making about Jesus being a superior high priest to all the high priests who have gone before him. Uh, Matt read the passage out of uh, Hebrews talking about that they, the, the earlier high priests were many in number uh, because their ministry was not eternal. But this high priest, Jesus, as the great high priest, is an eternal high priest. And he, his priesthood will never end. And, and that's what he's kind of bringing to a summation this morning. As a matter of fact, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 8 are a bit of a transition in this letter, in this book, or as many have called it, in this sermon that he's writing to these Hebrew believers. Uh, he's going to answer some more questions about this priesthood of Christ, but he's taking this transition to talk about where Jesus is ministering right now and also talk about the covenant that is coming the new covenant that is being established or has been established through the blood and the death of Jesus Christ. And so it's important here to understand the transition he's making from this great superior high priest above all high priests who have ever served in the service of God, who is the very son of God, the very lamb of God, who has made sacrifice, not of bulls and goats and lambs and those types of things, but who has made sacrifice of his own life. He is the sacrifice as well as the sacrificer. He has made that clear. And he continues to dwell on that one more time as he moves toward this concept and understanding of the new covenant. Hear the word of God as I read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. We've already talked about that some. Since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses also warned by God, was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. This is God's word. May God instruct us and teach us in it this morning. He talks about this superior high priest, that this ministry of Jesus Christ is a better ministry than all the ministry that has come before it. All of the priests and the high priests that have sacrificed and ministered on behalf of the people did their work and did it well according to the law. But now that law has given way to a better ministry. 
the law ministry of sacrifices on an altar have now been opened up to a ministry of a better high priest, a superior high priest, who is also going to carry out a better ministry. He starts out by saying, now the main point in what has been said is this. I mean, it's a summation. He's saying, I've taught you about Christ, and I've told you about Christ, and you must remember that these are Hebrew Christians who are struggling with his idea of why not go back to the old priest? Why not go back to the old sacrificial system? That is something that we can see. And he'll deal with that in a moment in this passage. It's something we can see. It's something we can tangibly notice. But this high priest that dwells in heaven is a high priest that we don't see with our eyes. We can't touch with our hands. We can't observe him carrying out the sacrifices. And so the temptation is great to go back to that which is known and that which is seen rather than to remain with a high priest that is a priest forever and an eternal high priest, a superior high priest who is, a, who is initiating and bringing about a better covenant, a new covenant in his name and by his blood. But I want you to see three important things about this high priest, really four important things that he deals with just in the first couple of verses. First of all, he talks about the moral adequacy of Christ as high priest. He says, we have such a high priest. We have one who is perfect. We have one who does not have to offer sins for himself. He's talked about that in chapter 7. The old high priest offered sins for himself and then a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But this new high priest, this great high priest, this high priest who is the very son of God, Jesus Christ himself, has a moral adequacy that supersedes all others. The fact that Jesus Christ is morally perfect and yet has identified with us in our needs and our temptations makes him superior to any other priest, past or present, he tells these people. Now, I believe we live in a day where we're not threatened and we're not challenged or we're not tempted to go back to an old sacrificial system of the law. We are basically Gentiles here who were not under the law in the sense of having to struggle with all the sacrifices and struggle with all that was done there. We've, we've come to Christ through belief in Christ outside of a legal system that said these are the right sacrifices. So, so for the most part, we who are in this room are not tempted to go back to that. But I think there is a temptation in our day to go back to an inadequate priesthood, which is a priesthood of the self. A priesthood who says, well, I will bring my offerings and I will make my sacrifices and I will try to please God in my own strength. And won't God be pleased with that? Won't God accept that if I can just try harder and be better and try to live up to all the standards of Scripture? Won't God say that's an adequacy? And, and the writer here say, no, that is not adequate. Just as the old high priest really did nothing to bring about a completion of the forgiveness of sins, you in your own priestly existence trying to serve yourself can never, never reach the accomplishments that this great high priest reaches. You can never do for yourself what this priest did for you. You can never accomplish forgiveness of sin by yourself. You can never be good enough. You can never struggle enough. You can never strive enough. You can never hope enough. You can never try enough. You just can't do it. It's only in Christ that there is a priest who is sufficient and who is adequate because of his moral adequacy. 
Then the writer talks about his finished work there. He says, not only do we have such a high priest, but he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He has taken his seat. Now, now that's just a phrase or Hebrewism that, that the Hebrews understood. When one priest would finish his sacrifices, he would go and he would sit down. And by sitting down, he would indicate in a visual sort of way that his work was done. The sacrifice was complete. And now the writer of Hebrews says, our great high priest has gone and taken his seat in the heavenly places. That is, his sacrifice is done. His sacrifice is finished. He is sacrificed, the only sacrifice, that really effectually washes away sin, cleanses away the guilty conscience. It, all, it, it covers the sin completely, not temporarily like the old sacrifices did. This high priest has finished his work. Now, in a minute, he's going to talk about this, this heavenly tabernacle, this true tabernacle, this true sanctuary that, that Jesus is serving in. And if we're not careful, we might get the idea that now Jesus is just in another place doing what the old priest did in the old covenant, only doing it somewhere else. That is, he's up there continually offering sacrifices. He's not. His sacrifice is complete. His sacrifice is finished. There'll never be another sacrifice There'll never be another offering of that sense because Christ has fully and completely offered himself once and for all. It is a finished work and he is seated in the heavenly places. But there's also some significance in his enthronement. It's not just that he has sat down. It's not just that he has taken his seat. But it's where he has taken his seat. He has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavenly places. He's not just seated, but he's seated there in the glory and the presence of his Father. He's seated there at the right hand of his Father, God the Father. The word that the writer uses for God is the word majesty. We, we sing a song about worship his majesty. Worship the one who sits on his throne. Well, well that's what the writer is saying here. Majesty is, a, is an old Hebrew word for the glory of God enthroned. It gives a mental picture to all those who are coming out of the, the, the Levitical system of priesthood when it talks about the majesty seated on high and the son having seated himself, the high priest having seated himself in the presence of the majesty in the heavens. It, it gave this picture of the absolute, complete, and unbelievable glory of God. In the, in the greatest sense of the word. So he is a priest who is morally adequate. He is a priest who has finished his work. He is a priest who is now enthroned in the presence of God. David talked about that in Psalm 110, which happens to be one of the favorite psalms of this writer. You know he's already quoted verse 4 back in chapter 7 several times. And in that first verse of Psalm 110 David writes these words. He says, Sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, that was a messianic prophecy that, that David was giving as king of Israel where he said, Listen, you come as my son and you sit in your royal place. You sit upon your throne and I will make all your enemies a footstool, a footstool before you. 
Not only did the high priest of Israel never sit down uh, in the tabernacle until he was finished with his sacrifice, but he never sat down on a throne. He never sat down in the presence of God. When he would go into the Holy of Holies and offer that sacrifice, he always stood. Once he left, he could be seated because his work was over, but he never sat down in the presence of Almighty God. Our high priest is seated in the presence of majesty because of who he is. He is the very Son. He is God of God, and He is the one through whom all things are created. And we'll talk about that tonight as we continue our study of the Apostles' Creed, and we talk about He is the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth. But that's who Christ is. Colossians says that all things were made through Him and by Him, and without Him there was not anything that would have been made that was made. He is the one who is created. John talks about that in John chapter 1. This one is enthroned as the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek but in the presence of God as both a priest and a king so as he made clear earlier it is a royal priesthood not just a normal type of priesthood and then there is in verses 1 and 2 his supreme exaltation he is in the heavens seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And he's there to minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord has pitched, not man. Back in chapter 4, if you remember, it talked about as Christ was carried forth in his ascension that he passed through the heavens to the highest of heavens, to the very presence of Almighty God. And that's how this, this one has been exalted He's exalted now as high as anyone ever could be. If you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, if you want to turn there with me, you can, if you can do it quickly. I, did, I forgot to mark that one myself. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 says, This one Christ which he brought which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subject subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is to be full of Christ and the church is to serve in that fullness literally as a city of Christ a city of God a place of refuge where the king Christ rules where the king Christ is on the throne and where the priest Christ has made intercession and made sacrifice on our behalf he was supremely exalted now those are four arguments that he gives just in those first two verses about his glory and about the reason we have such a great high priest. But then in verses 3 through 6, he talks about the fact that he's ministering in a better place, a better tabernacle, a tabernacle that was pitched by God. Now you may hear that word and say, a tabernacle pitched, the Lord pitched, not man. Understand the tabernacle, as we saw an illustration in the very beginning of this series, the tabernacle was a tent. You, you pitch a tent. The, the temple later on was a fixed structure. It's a fixed building. Didn't move. 
But the tabernacle could be wrapped up, folded up, packed up, and as they moved through the wilderness, pitched at another place by the instructions of God in exactly the same way. But that tabernacle we've already seen was built by hands. This tabernacle in the heavenly places is pitched by the Lord himself. It's, it's the tent of meeting that, is, that the old tent of meeting merely pointed to. Now, as I said earlier, these people were struggling with going back. These people were struggling with how do we, how do we, how do we know I mean, it's one thing to hear about Christ and hear the gospel. He has died for your sins. He has become your sacrifice, the propitiation of God's wrath. He has, he has served in a, a perfect, as a perfect substitute for you. He has taken upon himself the very wrath of God that you deserve. I mean, it's great to hear that. But we can't see him doing it. We can't see him ministering. We can't see him interceding. We can't see him seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the majesty on high. And so they were asking, how do we know that the Lord Jesus is ministering in a sanctuary? Has anyone actually seen him? Has anyone actually watched his high priestly work? Those are good questions. And the writer here gives some good answers to it. He, he talks about the, the logical answer, if you will, in verse 3, where he says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. And he did. He's made it clear in his presentation in chapter 7 and even chapter 6 that he had something to offer and that something was himself. That the high priest of old, in the old covenant, under the Levitical system, tried to find a lamb that was as spotless and as much without blemish as was humanly possible. They searched and they looked at the flocks and they never chose one that had a bad leg or one that had, had a sore on it or one that looked, looked sickly. Now Malachi said they did do that some and they came under the judgment of God for it at times. But if they were doing their work properly, they sought out the best lamb in the flock to offer as a sacrifice. But even it had infirmities that could not be seen. Even that lamb, although it was about to be sacrificed as an offering, would ultimately die because it was under the curse of the fall, just like all humanity is. But here was a lamb. Here was a lamb that was perfect. Here was the one that John the Baptist called the Lamb of God when he baptized him. He came up out of the water and he said, Behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was a lamb that was perfect in every respect and he has proven himself to be so. Chapter 5 of Hebrews and chapter 7 of Hebrews dealt with these and showed that these sacrifices must, are not just offered anywhere. They are offered in God's appointed place. And now God has offered his son in the only appointed place that ultimately and completely matters. And it's offered and presented and carried out in his presence. On the cross, Christ offered himself as one sacrifice for sin forever. It is an abiding sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that will not fail and will not end. And then in chapter 4, he talks about again the fact that, that there's a, a, a genealogical answer to this, that, that this priest is not a priest who could serve on earth, that if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. He was the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. 
But God has appointed him by his promise and by his love and by his appointment. He is now the great high priest and has no human ancestry to make him thus. He only has the promise of God. And then he gives the typological answer. Now, I realize if you're not careful, you will look at the Old Testament and you'll see everything as a type. And there's a danger in that. There's a danger of misinterpreting Scripture by doing that. You make everything a type. And all things aren't. But many things are. And when the Scripture tells you it is, you know that it is. And the writer of Hebrews says, and this is what we have. We have in verse 5, uh, this, this one who serves as, uh, who, these who served as a copy, these on earth served as a copy, and the word copy there is type, and a shadow of the heavenly things. In other words, every sacrifice that was offered, every time the high priest went in on the day of atonement, it was not for a, a true and, and, and absolute forgiveness, but rather it was for a type, it was for a shadow, it was for a pointing ahead that there is coming one day a great high priest who will offer himself, who will offer himself as a sacrifice to cover your sin. There is coming a great high priest who will go to a cross and who will enact a transaction and an exchange like you could never imagine because he will exchange your sin that he will take upon himself. He will exchange your sin in his own body. He who knew no sin became sin in order to give us his righteousness. In order that we who know, have no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God. Can you imagine that transaction? Can you imagine that exchange? Can you imagine that imputation that takes place? Our sins imputed to him and his righteousness imputed to us? And everything that went on under the old Levitical system is pointing to that. And then he says in verse 6, But now, but now he, that is Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry. By as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Now the old covenant carried with it promises. The old covenant carried with it things that God said, I will do for my people as long as you observe the covenant. But he's saying here now that Christ is coming to bring us not only a better ministry, but also he's to be a mediator, that is, one who brings about a better covenant, one who mediates between you and God as our only mediator. We don't have human mediators anymore. The, the Levitical priests were human mediators. They would mediate between God, and they were priests that mediated between the people and God. But now... We are, a pre, uh, we are a kingdom of priests ourselves. We are all priests. We, are the, we believe as, as, as Christians, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Not the priesthood of the believer, not individualized. But the priesthood of all believers. All believers coming together to minister the, the grace of God to one another. To care for one another. To, to love one another. To carry out all the one another passages in the scripture toward fellow believers, and then toward the world. But this one is bringing, he, he's going to be the only mediator of a 
better covenant enacted on better promises. Now next week we're going to look at those that, that new covenant. We're going to look at that better covenant. We're going to look at that, that eternal covenant. The second covenant. Because he's going to say in verse 7, and this is next week, but hear it now. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. And then in verse 13 he says, And when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Jesus Christ is a mediator of a new covenant. And a better covenant. And a covenant that, that is unbreakable. And a covenant that will allow you certain privileges as a believer in Christ, as one who is in Christ Jesus, that is beyond anything the old covenant could have, could have dealt with. Anything the old covenant could have given you. And he's going to quote Jeremiah to tell us about it. And he's going to say, Jeremiah spoke of this new covenant. He prophesied this new covenant. And now in Jesus Christ, this new covenant is a reality. Listen to what he says. He's obtained a more excellent ministry as, and as, as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. He's saying to you and me, what Christ does in your life if, you're in, if you are in him is better than anything that anybody under the old covenant ever even dreamed of. Under the old covenant, they knew all about God. But under the new covenant, we're going to find that we know God. Not just about Him, but have a relationship with Him through this new priest, through this new covenant that has been given. You know, in the book of Revelation, you, you see a heavenly scene that's described there that parallels the Old Testament tabernacle. John states that there's a temple of God in heaven in, verse, in, in, in chapter 11, verse 19. And he says that that tabernacle is the perfect tabernacle of God. And he describes it in ways that are indescribable almost. He uses the most beautiful ideas, the most beautiful elements that he can think of in order to present the truth of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing in every life that is touched by the grace of God and submits to him in faith and trusts in him by faith. He becomes our mediator. He is our great high priest who's brought about this new covenant. We'll talk about that covenant next week. Let's pray together. Father, it's by your work through Christ that we experience this better ministry of the great high priest. Father, it is because of your sending your son and his going to the cross in our place that we can experience a better ministry, a better tabernacle, a better covenant by his blood. 
Father, help us to rest in him. Help us, Lord, to find our peace in him and him alone. Help us, Lord, to know him better today than we knew him yesterday. Lord, help us to fight off the urge to try to be our own priest and offer our own sacrifices and our own offerings. Help us, Lord, to recognize that what we give is merely out of obedience to our King. And they earn us no favor. They earn us no standing. They merely are expressions of gratitude for what He has done and is doing. Father, we thank You for that. In Jesus' holy name, Amen.